we can find the source of who God is. And that has been here from the beginning. We have this written word, and it's never changed. Every time they find another manuscript, it just validates the same Bible that we have in our hands. Isn't that amazing that God wrote it down so we don't have to wonder? And it's all in one little convenient location. It's called the Word of God. And so this morning, we're going to begin a series on the attributes of God. I'm not sure how many we'll talk about, but my thought is that we will carry on for a bit because uh, there's at least uh, 20 different attributes of God that I believe are powerful and valuable and important to know. I uh, must tell you, if you, were, uh, if you know anything about uh, uh, Scripture or religion, you'll know that this is what will be called theolog- theology proper. We're going to talk about God Himself, the study of God. And I got to tell you, I am so excited. I, I get so pumped up about some of this stuff, and I'm so pumped up about this because I love to tell you about my best friend. I love to tell you about the great God. I do. I just get so excited. I, I just can't tell you how excited I was to be able to share the truths with you this morning because it just means so much, and it just deepens our understanding. And folks, um, it is vital that a church be the steward of information. And that's why we must continue. And I'm so proud of this church. We were walking through the building yesterday and someone just said, I just, I can't even get over how beautiful it is in here. And I will tell you, it is is the single most beautiful auditorium I've ever been in my life. Now, I know I'm prejudiced, but I will tell you, I've been in a lot of them and it is the most beautiful. And they said, it's just amazing. And it is, it's a miracle that out here in the middle of San Joaquin County, an old gospel preaching church is uh, being built for God's glory. And I just told those people, I said, they said, you know, oh, I can't wait till our first Sunday. And I said, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I don't know how I'm going to do on that day. But, and they said, well, don't worry about it, Pastor. You just go ahead and blubber all you want. And that's how I feel like I'm going to be. But, I, but I'm so proud. I told them, I am so proud of our people. I'm just so proud of our people. And I just, uh, I just get, my heart just overflows, and I'm proud of what God has done, and what a miracle-working God. And I, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you, and I know for some of you, you've been waiting for this moment to, as a little key moment to say, you know what, it's time to get back and join with God's people. And folks, uh, we have a command to worship together. It is in God's Word to gather together, and so uh, I... I'm a little bit more afraid of God than I am the government. And so uh, I'm here to gather with God's people, and thank you for being with us. Well, our God is eternal. Look what it says in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, the high and exalted one who lives forever. The apostle Paul referred to him when he wrote uh, Brother Timothy. He said, he is king, but he is king eternal. And so God's eternality will be our topic this morning. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and bless you. I'm so excited, Lord, about this new series, Who is God? And we know that we have an answer to that. All of your attributes are listed clearly in Scripture for those who are willing to dig. And I thank you for this church, Lord, who loves to dig into your word. Now be with us, meet with us, not just in mind, But God, minister to our spirit. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these that are online listening to this time. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you were to take a trip to Israel, and I understand several, several of our church members are planning to, if that ends up opening up here soon, but and I know some of you have already been to Israel, and others are planning to, and I would definitely recommend it. I was able to go as a young man uh, there, but if you go there, you'll find out that uh, you, for the most part, other than seeing a pickup truck here or there, or seeing a tractor going along, if you were to go out into the highways and byways, out into the rural areas, you would see a landscape, you would find a country, other than maybe a Bedouin on a camel with a cell phone, <laughs> you would find, um, for the most part, a nation that is unchanged for thousands of years. I mean, you would see the same landscape that Abraham saw. And Abraham was an amazing man. He was a nomad, and God had called him to come to this promised land, leave where you live there by the uh, Persian Gulf, and I want you to make your way down to this little strip of land called Israel. And if you, I will tell you, if the, the nation of Israel, the whole concept of Israel, if for no other reason you didn't believe the Bible, just believe it because of Israel. No nation has been such a focal point of the world. And even today, surrounded by over a billion um, uh, Muslims of all different uh, uh, groups, they're the only democratic nation in all of the Middle East. Why? Why would that be the only nation that has ever gone dead and come back to life? Only one ever in history. Once a nation is gone, it's gone. But Israel, it is the same Israel for the most part that has been here for millennia. Well, God told Abraham, I want you to come to this promised land and I'm going to bless you there. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a wonderful land. And I'm going to give you this amazing truth that from your lineage will come not only a great heritage of children. <laughs> Yesterday we had the beautiful Ridge family at our house taking family pictures. And I mean to tell you, that family, which was already pretty good size, it's just growing. In another decade, it's going to be exponential. And who would have ever thought from this one husband and wife, all of a sudden this big family tree, God told Abraham, you're going to have this amazing family tree, and from your lineage will come the Messiah of the world. And that's when God gave him this wonderful promise. Let's look at Genesis 21 and verse 33. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba. So he came all the way from Persian Gulf area, came there to a town called Beersheba. And there God revealed to Abraham for the first time a new name. There are over 300 names of God in the Bible. And there are many names that we know of, Jehovah uh, Nissi, his banner, Jehovah Shalom, my peace. We know of him as we talked about the omnipotence of God as Almighty. Here, notice what it says, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. If you were to go to your Strong's Concordance, you would find that that word everlasting God is El Alam, O-L-A-M, El Alam, which means that God is the eternal God 
Why? When God gave a, a new revelation of his name to people, it was for a purpose. It was to remind them of something. You know, we give nicknames to people. We call, you know, uh, some people uh, stretch or we call them, you know, whatever. But here God is given a name because he is the eternal one. That's comforting <laughs> because Abraham was thinking, what in the world am I doing out here? I know, you know, I go on vacation for a couple of days and I get all stressed out. Abraham left without a map or anything, and God said, look, Abraham, I've always been with you, and I'll always be with you. Let me give you my name, El Alam. I am, all, I am God eternal. Folks, we serve and have God eternal. There was a, another wonderful godly man uh, in the Old Testament by the name of Moses. I like to call him Mighty Moses. Mighty Moses was an amazing man, died at the age of 120. He blew away all the insurance actuaries of the day by dying at 120. But before he died, he wrote a song. The Holy Spirit gave him that song, and it's found in Psalm 90. You might be surprised, as some folks are, that not all of the Psalms are written by David. About half of them are. But there's about seven different authors in the book of Psalms. One of them was Moses, and here in Psalm 90. And so we're going to kind of center there today. So let's go to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90 is very unique in two different ways. Number one, it is the oldest psalm written by the oldest man post-flood. Now, we know that Methuselah lived at 969, but that was pre-flood. Moses lived 120. He was the oldest man after the flood. This is the oldest psalm by the oldest man, but it's also unique in that the timeline is the oldest, because as we begin, we'll see that it's from eternity to eternity. Here is a psalm reminding us of the brevity of life and God's eternal spirit. And so God just gave Abraham, excuse me, Moses this amazing promise. And in fact, in one passage, the greatest truths about God's eternality are found. In this, I find three very vital features. And so I think these are ones that you need to get in your heart and in your mind, because when you're talking with someone, if you're dealing with your children or just for your own uh, growth, know this about God. Number one, God is without beginning or end. Let's read verses one and two together, if you would, all right? Let's read it out loud here from the authorized version. Ready, begin. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Let's say that last little phrase again. Come on now, like you mean it. Ready, begin. Even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou art God from everlasting to everlasting. When the children were growing up, I'm not sure how we came up with this game. I don't know if it was on purpose, or, but it seemed like every one of them seemed to ask these questions. Dad, who made that car? Did God make that car? <laughs> no, God didn't make that car. Man made that car. But God made all the materials for that car. Oh, okay. There's a tree. 
Dad, did God make that tree? Yes, God made that tree. And so it was always try to figure out who made what. And that's because our mind is, has human logic. And in human logic, something that exists had a beginning. And so when you proclaim that God, however, has no beginning, it is just outside of our mental acuity. We cannot really frame that concept. God has no beginning. How is that possible? I mean, we go back to the book of Genesis, and as literalists, as evangelicals, as fundamental Bible believers, we believe the Bible from cover to cover. We believe every single word is inspired. And because of that, we trust what God says about the origins, that there was an, uh, uh, an origin for this earth. God spoke it into existence. When He did that, we're not sure of the date, but we know it was at least 6,000 years ago. He spoke it into existence, and this earth has been made by God. Well, then the next question is this, okay, so God made the earth, God made the trees, God made mankind. Who made God? And if you were one of my grandchildren, you would say, Papa, who made God? <laughs> who made God? Like when I'm out golfing once in a while, I'm taking some of my grandkids, and I'll have a bad shot to go in the water, and one of my grandkids looked at me and said, Papa, why'd you hit it in the water? <laughs> and because uh, I like to, just shut up. And, uh, but anyway, I'd see what I, people do that when you're my age, you just do that. And uh, Papa, who made God? Well, if they were to ask me that question, I don't know that any of them have, but my children certainly have. Who, who made that God, Dad? Who made that? Well, nobody made God. What? Because there's never been a time when God wasn't. You'd say, well, that's unexplainable. That just it doesn't make any sense. The great theologian Augustine said this, and he gave the famous answer about God's eternal nature. He said, if no one asks me, I know about God's eternal nature. But if I wish to explain it to someone who does ask me, I do not know. <laughs> I can explain it in my head. I can wrap my thoughts around it. But if you ask me to explain it, I really can't explain it. Someone said about God's eternal nature, God has lived already. He's lived all of our tomorrows. He's lived all of our yesterdays. And He is living our todays. Folks, nobody made God. There's no beginning. There's no ending. God is immortal, but He's more than immortal. Man's soul is immortal. From the moment I am conceived, I have been given a flesh, although very small, and even at a small age, those cells are reproducing every few hours, or doubling and doubling and doubling, and within, I think, two weeks, the little baby is already visible in the womb. I mean, it's just amazing. But So we have a body, however small. We have a, we have a mind, uh, however uh, unable to, uh, to grasp, grasp much at that moment. But at that moment, an eternal spirit, an immortal spirit is put into that little baby, body, soul, and spirit. Man's soul is immortal. You are immortal. 
People like to say, I'm immortal. Well, your body's not immortal uh, in the sense of it's never going to die, but it is immortal because the Bible says our body is going to be brought together and we'll either spend eternity with him in heaven or it'll be burning forever in hell. And our spirit is immortal, but mankind is only immortal. God is, is infinite, but God's more than infinite. God is eternal. Look what verse 1 says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. This psalm begins with that very respectful phrase, Lord. That is the Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai, it means master. This is the only psalm in all 150 that begins that way. By the way, a beautiful way to begin with God, Adonai. If you ever get a chance to read one of those Hebrew versions of the Bible that are in English, but they're written with the Hebrew names of God, it's beautiful. Lord, Adonai, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Master, you have been there in every generations, even before the generations. Look what it says. You've been our dwelling place. Look at that verse. Dwelling place. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 26, the word dwelling place is the word habitation. It is more than just a place. It is a place to retreat to. It's a place to go to just reflect. That's what the word means. I can't think of a better place to pull over and park than at the thought of God's eternal nature. God is eternal. And that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, park it right there. Stop for a minute. Adonai is eternal. Stop. That's our habitation. That's a place I can hang my hat for a while because God is eternal. I want you to notice in these first two verses, there are three time words. Look at them. Generations, before, and everlasting. Meaning God's presence and his promises are everlasting. They're eternal. They're there throughout time. Have you ever noticed that the Bible never tries to prove God? It's funny to me. I know, and we have ministries out in this world today that are really big on proving God by the you know, use of science or proving God for the use of anthropology or proving God from this reason or that reason. And I'm all for it because it's always encouraging in one sense, but honestly, the truth is trying to prove God with something physical is ridiculous. It's never going to work. I don't believe in God because science tells me it's true. I believe in God because the Bible tells me it's true. He is an eternal God, and His promises are unchanging. And God never even proves Himself. He just starts in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God. Now, if you want to know who God is, you can understand that there are, you know, 442,000 galaxies. No, none of that. God just says, I'm God. Deal with it. I'm God. Just go ahead and put that in your mind. Don't even, just, just deal with it. We'll spend a whole lifetime trying to figure out God, or we can just accept it and spend a whole lifetime serving God. How much better it is to do that? In the beginning, God. And that's exactly what it says here. God has always been here. Why? Because he's an self-existent God. He's self-existence God. He doesn't require anybody to make him to exist. Now, we need somebody, but God is uncreated. He's unoriginated. Jesus, 
describing his uniqueness. Let's go to John chapter 5. Jesus is here speaking to some fake religion people. And he's trying to tell them that as God, God in the flesh, he is eternal. He's not dependent upon anybody because he's God. Look what he says. He blows them away. They're not happy with him. <laughs> they, people don't get happy with Jesus if you don't submit to him. Look at verse, chapter uh, 5 of John, verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself. Okay, I, I can wrap my head around that a bit. God the Father is the personification of life. He is inherently living. He doesn't have a beginning. He just is life. So hath he given to God the Son life in himself. What? Are you saying that Jesus really had no beginning and no ending? That's what Jesus was telling those people. Those folks who were so wrapped into their religion and their culture, he was saying, the fact is, I am God in the flesh. I am the Messiah. And that's what he's, and all of the gospels is about proving that Jesus is, the, is exactly that. Now, then nobody can say that. Now, the, you know, scientists will say, oh, we can create life. <laughs> or as everybody likes to say now, we're saving lives. <laughs> really? Okay, yeah, right. You're saving a life? The funny thing is, those people you save, they're going to die in 10 years or 20 years. You didn't save a life. Now, I'm all for it. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to do what we can to help people. That's not the point of that. But the fact is, how, how, uh, how proud, how arrogant humans are to feel like we save lives. Folks, God is the one that saves lives. He creates life. And these scientists will say, we can create life. We can put a seed of a man and the seed of a woman together, and we can create life. <laughs> really? Uh, let me see how that works. Okay, create life. Okay, well, give me the seed of a man and the seed of a woman, and we'll create life. Oh, no, 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 no. You said you can create life, so go ahead. Oh, oh no, I can't do that. Of course you can. You have to have the raw material. And who provides that? God provides that. You can't create life. You can do those artificial things. You can put it in an artificial womb. You can bypass the whole natural order of things. But nobody has life in themselves. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, I have life in me. Theology calls that the aseity of God. A-S. E-I-T-Y. It comes from the Latin meaning self-governed or self-propagated or totally self-contained. Aseity. The aseity of God is the fact that God is totally independent and autonomous of anybody. He doesn't need any of us then. And so that's why God told um, Moses. Moses was worried he, you know, God called him to lead the people. I'm really not that kind of a leader. God said, you're the leader. I'm really not a great speaker. I'm telling you, you're going to lead the people. But I'm really, God said, look, if you keep talking, I'm going to whop you upside the head. And uh, so he said, Moses said, well, who do I say to the people that, uh, how can I tell them that, that I'm supposed to lead them? He said, you just tell them that God said it. Well, who is God? 
I mean, we've heard of the gods of Pharaoh, we've heard of the gods of uh, the Moabites, but who is the God that's going to lead him? And then God gave Moses that wonderful statement in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, I am that I am. (laughs) I'm the self-existent one. You mean you're not the God of Egypt? Nope. The God of Egypt is a fake God, and it was created by a man, not me. I had no creation. I'm self-existent. I'm from everlasting to everlasting. That means that God is all, he, he never, nothing ever sneaks up on God. He's got it all in his mind, he, all on his plate all at the same time. They told me in the new building that we have this amazing sound system and amazing video. You just, you're just not going to believe it. Tens of thousands of dollars have gone in. It's just incredible. They said that the person with the video is going to have nine screens in front of them. I'm like, okay, that's not my job. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But I mean, can you imagine? God has a billion screens all at the same time. He's viewing everybody's life all at the same time of all generations. Billions and billions of screens of everybody's life beginning to end because he is the self-existence one. His name is Jehovah. I am Jehovah. I am the I am God. In Lamentations, Jeremiah cried out in Lamentations chapter 5, verse 19, Thou, O Lord, dost rule forever. Why? How could God rule forever, by the way? His sovereignty is connected to His eternality. Thy throne is from generation to generation. Hey, that's good news, folks. God has been in control from day one, and He'll be in control tomorrow, and He'll be in control 10 years from now. That's why David said in Psalm 48, for this God is our God, and He's forever and ever. But that's, while that's good news for the believer, that's bad news for the unbeliever. Because Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 says that a person who does not accept Christ, their torment will be forever and ever. That's the only way it could be, because there's an eternal God. There's no way that, he, that uh, torment could stop. Because an eternal God has made an eternal judgment. I can remember growing up being fascinated by grandfather clocks. I don't know why they're called grandfather clocks. Why not grandmother clocks? But anyway, I guess because an old guy, you know, you see these clocks. I remember growing up seeing those clocks. Just amazing to me. Over the years, I've been at places where they have these clocks. And I've actually been at clock museums. I For some reason, I love looking at at clocks. I mean, they're just amazing to me. But I want you to imagine with me for just a moment, have you ever seen a clock that was all there but had no hands? That's what eternity is. All the mechanism of time is there, but there are no specific hands that detect the actual moment. That's what eternity is. It is the clock without hands. It is there, but there's no exact way to measure it. Number one, God is without beginning or end. Number two, God is without the limitation of seeing <clears throat> events happen in succession. And that's a powerful truth about God's theology. God does not need to see things happen one at a time. Look at verse four. For a thousand years, in thy sight, or but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. 
God said, a, a, a thousand years to God is like a day. That means my life to this point is but a few minutes to God. We see it as, and I, I mean, I, sometimes I feel like life has been so short. Other times I feel like, man, this has gone on for a long time. But the fact is, folks, God says my life is only minutes long. Look what it says in Psalm 102, verse 27. Thou art the same. Thy years shall have no end. Now, this earth is not that way. Look at verse 26 of that same passage. They perish. Thou shalt endure, God meaning, meaning God. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. Meaning, our life is like, are like garments. They never get better. They always deteriorate. I was looking, cleaning out my closet this uh, past week and some things I hadn't worn for a long time. And um, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw that away and give it away. And so I bagged it all up there. It's getting ready to go. But one thing I looked at there was my letterman jacket. And I know I don't have to explain that I was a, a letterman in high school. I mean, I know you already knew that. I was a great athlete. No, actually, not the case. But I, I, I did. I was on the swim team, got my letter. But there was my, my letterman jacket. I looked at that. Tulare Union High School Redskins. Oh, can't say that anymore. But anyway, the Tulare Union High School indigenous people. And uh, there they were. Um, and there was my jacket. And I that thing, I cannot believe it. I don't know why, but it doesn't have any holes in it. It's not moth-eaten, but I'll tell you one thing. It's only a matter of time, and it's going to be deteriorated. And here it says that God, however, never deteriorates. God never has to change his clothes. That's what the Bible's saying here. His clothes never wear out. He wears the same thing every day, not one day older. God never has to wear glasses. He doesn't Boy, anymore, I tell you what, I can hardly see things, but God never has to wear glasses. He never gets older, never has gray hair. It's like some of you sweet ladies I've noticed. It seems like you get younger looking all the time. And, uh, but God's never like that. I mean, he just, he just uh, is, never has gray hair. He just always looks the same as he always has. And I know that because I looked at him this morning, and I talked to him, and he's the same God I've had from the beginning of my life. But for us, the tyranny of time marches on. But with God, it's just like a day to him. It's meaningless. It's just, I mean, a hundred years is like minutes to God. You'd say, well, how is it possible that God doesn't see things successively because that's how they happen? It's impossible that God doesn't see them that way. But you've got to understand God has a different perspective. Let's imagine for a moment that we would go down to Pasadena. I'm not sure if they're holding the big beautiful Rose Bowl parade, but uh, the most famous parade in the world. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars are spent for these um, elaborate floats. Just incredible. Some of you have probably been there to Pasadena, stood there, watched them go by. Let's imagine you're there on that corner of, what is it, Fulton or whatever. You're right on that street and you're watching the parade. Float comes by one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. You can't see the beginning, and you can't see the end. One float at a time. Now, now, let's imagine that instead of being there on that street corner, let's imagine that you got the privilege of being in the Goodyear blip. 
There you were. You ascended up into those heights. And now, guess what? You can see the beginning of the parade and you can see the end of the parade all at one time because of your perspective. You don't have to see things in succession. In this world, in our horizontal existence that we live in, we have to see events happen one after a time. People have tried to predict tomorrow, and they've lost their shirts in the stock market. <laughs> People have tried to predict tomorrow, and only to find out that all their ideas evaporates. Because we cannot predict tomorrow, but God, He already knows everything. That's why He says in Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10, There is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning. I already know the beginning, and I already know the end of every person. I don't require things to happen successively, because with me, knowledge is eternal. I know the past, I know the present, and I know the future all at the same time. That's why Paul was preaching, and he said in Acts chapter 15, known unto God are all things from the beginning of the world. God knows all my tomorrows because He's already lived them. He's already seen them. He's already in control of them. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 says, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. The actual Hebrew words there means He dwells in eternity. He doesn't have to have things happen successively. That's good news. <laughs> Why is that good news? Because when a tragedy comes, God's already there. His grace is already there. It doesn't occur to him, oh, man, I wish I had been there for Jesus. He's already there. This morning, we had a, oh, we had a heart moment. Uh, John and Ruth, uh, daughter and son-in-law, live just right next to us. And John came over and said, uh, have you seen Stasia? <laughs> That's unusual, but... That's their, their little five-year-old uh, daughter. Our little um, five-year-old granddaughter has a, a developmental problem, but she's just a precious little girl. And they said, we came out, and the garage door was open, and uh, we, we don't know where Stasia is. And he said, I'm sure she probably is hiding in the house, but we thought we'd check over here. I said, okay, well, let us know. And so Pauline and I jumped in the car, drove up the road here, and right up there at the corner of Ham Lane and West Lane, we noticed a commotion, two or three cars there, and a man was out there with several ladies holding Anastasia in his arms. I looked at that, and I said, that's Anastasia. Pauline jumped out of the car, practically got hit. I said, honey, you're going to get hit by a car. We went over there, and before Anastasia had got to West Lane, God had sent those people right there, and they were waiting for her. The angel said, stop, go down this road be here for this little girl. And of course, Anastasia was as happy as she could be. She was on a, a mission. She was on a journey, you know. But, uh, oh, but see, God was already there when that moment happened. God lives in eternity. God's grace will be there. God know. And by the way, God already knows the sins that you and I will commit. He already knows them. And he already has a remedy for that. He already has something to take care of that. That's why we can trust God. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 15, in which time is times, he shall show. He is the blessed and only potentate, 
we talked about God's omnipotence. King of kings, Lord of lords, look at verse 16, who only hath immortality. He only has immortality. God is the only one who has immortality because He's the only one that it's built into Him. Have you ever seen the symbol of infinity? Those of you mathematicians and in the science world, you know the, uh, the symbol of infinity, don't you? What is it? It's an eight that's laying on its side, right? That's the symbol of infinity. Do you know the origin of that? Well, the origin, at least, of one of two things. One of them is uh, maybe after the Roman symbols for a thousand, that could be. But most people believe it is, uh, comes from a, a pagan um, story, uh, you know, a fairy tale, of a snake that wraps around and its mouth attaches on its um, tail and it eats itself, self-propagating itself self-helping itself, self-feeding itself, and the idea is that it eats its tail, it comes back and grows another head, eats its tail, and it just keeps doing that. Well, that's a nice story, but I'll tell you, it's probably not a great concept about infinity, but I will tell you one thing, God is not infinite, He is immortal, but He's not just immortal, He's not just infinite, He is eternal. God has no beginning and no end. That's why in Revelation 1 and verse 8, He said, I'm Alpha, and I'm Omega at the same time. What? Yes, I'm the beginning. Now, when we say somebody's the end of something, that's a great feeling. But God's also the beginning. He's, in fact, He's not just the beginning and the end. He's everything in between. He's all the alphabet at one time. God is everything we need. He is everywhere we need. And He's all that we need all the time. That's because He is eternal. He has no limits. He doesn't need to see things in succession. There's a third major, major truth we need to realize, and that is that God is without the need of anyone or anything. Look at verse 5. Thou carest them away as a flood. There is a sleep in the morning. They're like grass which grows up, grass that needs beginning and that has an end. Verse 6. In the morning it flourishes, it grows up. In the evening it is cut down and it's withered. But God's not like that. God's not like any other uh, living organism. God just flourishes constantly. He doesn't, he doesn't need the things that we need. We need air. We need food. And we need sleep. I need air conditioning. We all need different things, but God does not need any of that. He is all in himself. He is a self-contained. And Paul was preaching Acts chapter 17, verse 24, God that made the world and all things, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temple made with hands. Verse 25, neither is he worshiped with any man's hands as though he needed anything. God doesn't need anything, seeing he give to all life and breath and all things. This may be shocking to you, but God doesn't need you. This may be shocking to us, but God doesn't need me. Now, he's not, uh, he's not mad at me, especially. He's not uh, unwilling to help me or to love me, but God doesn't need me. Uh, you know, it's been famously said that, you know, every human has a God-shaped peace missing out of their heart and that we need God. And that's uh, a poetical way, and it's actually very true. 
We could be a person and we could be, you know, we're made of three parts. We could be a beautiful physical specimen. We could be a mental specimen. But if we don't have a strong spirit, we're at best only a 66% of who we could be. But even if I had a strong body and a strong mind and a strong spirit, the fact is I still need God. But God needs nothing. He is uh, a triology, uh, a tripartite God, Son, uh, the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. But and in that, He's everything together at once. There's no uh, human-shaped hole in God's heart. There may be a God-shaped uh, piece missing out of my heart, but not with God. He doesn't need us. And that's why it says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Would you like to be a complete Christian? Then accept, or a complete person, accept Christ as your Savior, and then you can have the eternal God living in you. Now, there are two beautiful and wonderful practical applications from all of this. Now, so far, we've just done a lot of um, wonderful um, just ideas and understanding about God. But what does that mean then? Number one, it means that because of that, His promises are eternal. Look at Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Now, the God of peace, hallelujah, He's the God of peace, that had brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of our sheep, through the blood of the, listen to that, everlasting covenant. God made a covenant with us. That word is a, for covenant is a cutting. God became, He cut with blood just so we would realize. And it's not just, you know, we say, you know, I'll, you know, till death do His part. And that's not typically the case for many people. But with God, it's, it's till it's not even death do us part. Never. Death won't even part you from this covenant. It is a promise that I made that God promised because of Christ. Look what Paul said to Titus in chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Folks, since God is eternal, His promises are eternal. That means every promise He's made to me and every promise He's made to you, every promise He's put in the book, that because of that God's eternality, I can trust that. That's why in Hebrews chapter 6, and don't you love Hebrews 6? I'm not kidding you. I read that this week and I just stopped and said, there's no human alive that could write that. That is a God passage. Hebrews 6, look at verse 13. For God who made the promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. God said, I'm so great that I, don't, I can't promise by, well, till death do us part or until this happens. No, he said, I swore by myself. I am eternal. And on the fact that I cannot lie, you can take the promise to the bank with you. If I promised you eternal life, it's yours. We're getting ready for Christmas. Listen to this. Praise Him. Praise God for Christmas. Praise Him for the incarnation. For the Word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds this Christmas, watching flocks on frosty nights, or angel choristers. I will not sing of a stable bear in Bethlehem or lowing oxen. Wise men 
trailing star with gold, frankincense and myrrh. Tonight, I will sing praise to the Father who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to his son as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I will sing praise to the infinite, eternal son who made, became the most finite baby who would one day be executed for my crime. Eternal God promising to save us forever because He paid my price. Number one, it means His promises are eternal. But number two, to be honest, it means His pronouncements are eternal. You see, promises are a double-edged sword. Yes, it's beautiful for those who accept Christ. But my friend, it is a terrible thing for those who reject God. That's why Jeremiah the prophet said, but the Lord is God, the true God, everlasting King, His wrath and His earth, and all should tremble in the earth. What this means is, folks, with God, this took a hold of me this week, with God, that sin that I've long forgotten, that sin that I've buried under years of the sands of time, hoping that it would rub away the sharp edges that often bring shame and guilt. Those sins that I committed as a teenager or even as a child, those sins that were long been past, for me, I like to not think about them. They're uncomfortable. They're so long ago. Well, yeah, they were a long time ago. (laughs) But with God, they were only seconds ago. With me, they're decades ago. With God, only seconds. You see, my sin, God sees it at any moment. That's why I need the forgiveness of an eternal God. I look at my pride with new light this morning. God hates my pride. I look at my anger in light of God's eternity. God hates my angry spirit. I look at my lust in the light of eternity, and there's a whole different concept. How dreadful then, friends, to think of the fact that before God, my sins weren't years ago when I didn't know any better. They were only seconds ago. That's why I need forgiveness. We say, well, oh, you know, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Have you ever hurt somebody or had someone hurt you deeply? And the decades have gone by, and it's still there. In fact, it's so close to the surface, you mention it to that person, and within seconds, they'll be weeping. Because when you've had somebody hurt you that deeply, it's hard. Folks, we hurt God. We sinned against the holy God. Yes, it was decades ago, but because of His eternal nature, it was only seconds ago. That's why I need the forgiveness of God. We live in a crazy world. We live in a world where everybody's trying to make a name for themselves and try to establish a legacy that, and these politicians, you know, trying to, you know, be the first one to do this or the first one to do this. Oh, it's like Shakespeare's famous comedy, Much Ado About Nothing. Really? In a few months, Years, we're not even going to know your name. No one even know you existed. And yet, boy, you big hullabaloo all the time right now. 
But you want to know something that lasts? You want to know something that's amazing? Listen to this verse, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the witness. God has given eternal life. Who has that life? He that has the Son has life. It's been said that he who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. I close with this story. Someone tried to illustrate what eternity means. If a sparrow was to leave here from this area, fly all the way to the east coast to the Atlantic Ocean, and there dip down into the water and take water in its beak and fly all the way back and empty it into the Pacific Ocean, wait a thousand years, go back and do the same thing until he had emptied all of the Atlantic Ocean into the Pacific, and then reverse that. Take all the water and put it back in the Atlantic Ocean, each time resting a thousand years between each trip. That sparrow wouldn't have even come close to a, a, a second of eternal nature of our God. You'd say, what should I do? In light of this, folks, we need to say, what matters for eternity? There are only two things, really, that we can deal with each day that matters for eternity, and they're both eternal. One is a soul. The other is the Bible. Both are eternal. An immortal soul. What am I doing to make a difference for souls? By the way, thank you, church. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful to give and to be, say, what else is life? Then building something for God, then reaching souls. And what else is important? but the blessed Word of God. These are eternal matters. And then, I would not be a faithful pastor if I did not say, friend, if there is sin in your life, I beg you. I know to you and to me, we like to bypass it. We like to not think that it was there. But if there is any unconfessed sin today, make sure that you give it to God. Because He's an eternal God. And He sees it as though it happened a second ago. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.